So welcome everyone. Um, my name is Joshua and I'll be uh, the chair of the AFCO committee for um, the um, National Selection Conference of EYP the Netherlands 2021. Um, this is practically an interview that is meant to give a bit more uh, in-depth information about the topic overview um, and talk a bit about uh, more specific um, legal um, aspects of our topic. And for that, I'm joined by uh, Mr. Leiser. Would you like to introduce yourself briefly? Yeah, my name is Mark Leiser. I am an assistant professor at the University of Leiden uh, in the Netherlands. I am um, I work in a department called eLaw, uh, which is the Center for Law and Digital Technologies. And we are a collective department of people from various different disciplines, as well as people within eLaw that focuses on the law and information technologies. So everything from data protection to cybercrime and cybersecurity, to disinformation and fake news, uh, to artificial intelligence, to smart cars, to robotics, everything in between. Um, what I do is I would call myself a regulatory theorist, which is I try and figure out all aspects of the problem and try and use a variety of solutions to solve the issue. Uh, sometimes that is you know, just by making something illegal, making it you know, very strict. Other times you can look at a variety of mechanisms to um, bring about uh, the end of a particular practice or to try and control a practice. Uh, and that can be done with a variety of measures. And so as a regulatory theorist, I think about the big problems and also think about the big solutions that are required to solve those problems. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Sounds very interesting uh, and very uh, current as well. So sure. um, what we'll be discussing uh, are practically four topics. So firstly, uh, very generally about micro-targeting, as you've all read, hopefully, in the topic overview and the misconceptions about it. Secondly, about the GDPR's role in that and also the DSA, again, both of which are elaborated upon in the topic overview. Then thirdly, about um, whether transparency would be a good solution or would mitigate the problems. And finally, some other solutions that were proposed, such as making um, personal data property, legal property, or tying legal liability to it, or um, having advertisers, uh, advertisers um, have an obligatory license, for instance. Uh, to advertise on platforms. So uh, as I said, first of all, very generally, um, how would you describe micro-targeting? But more importantly, what are the misconceptions that uh, the general public has about micro-targeting? Okay, the first, the first thing is to kind of explain data protection law, because I don't think I can explain micro-targeting without explaining data protection law. So most of you will have heard of the GDPR, and most of you will be of the erroneous belief that the GDPR um, illegalizes or prohibits um, certain aspects of uh, data protection law or data protection or advertising. Um, technically, it doesn't. Um, one way you can think of the GDPR is uh, that is by looking at the objectives. And if you look at the objectives, you'll notice that there's three. The first is the free movement of data around the European Union. The second is the protection of fundamental rights and freedoms while that data is moving around. And the third is that you cannot put any barriers to the free movement of data so it doesn't um, change from member state to member state. That's a very important understanding of the GDPR that sometimes it gets lost in the way people think about it. For a business point of view, it's about the free movement of data. 
for academics and lawmakers, it's often about the protection of fundamental rights. And sometimes people talk about the protection of fundamental rights without realizing or recognizing that it's about the free movement of data. So uh, there's an overemphasis about, oh, well, this is horrible. We have to stop this from happening. And political micro-targeting um, and micro-targeting more generally has been much uh, misaligned and misunderstood about what the GDPR can effectively do. So if you take a step back for a second and think about technology, every single thing that you do in the digital world is trackable. Everything that you uh, interact with online, every emoji that you potentially write into your messages, uh, every product page that you visit on Amazon generates data. And that data is then um, collected, stored, analyzed, um, inference are, are made from it, you're profiled. And more often than not, that profile is created for the purposes of advertising. So when you're going online and you're talking to your friends about, oh, we need a holiday, or let's look up train prices to go on the Eurostar, it's inevitable that very soon you will start getting advertisements almost instantaneously based upon the fact that somebody has um, searched for a particular topic or term. And it freaks people out. People are like, hey, I just said Eurostar to my friend and all of a sudden I'm getting train holidays uh, every time I log on to Instagram. And I understand that. But also advertising technology is so complex uh, and we use so much data now that some people don't understand how it works, including advertisers. And so there is a understanding that we need to try and do something to kind of constrain this technology and stop allowing advertisers to use it in a way that manipulates our political sensibilities. So, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, I'm a socialist or, hey, I believe in free markets and be very transparent about your political feelings. It's another thing altogether to take your web history, to take the pages that you like, the bands that you like and uh, collect on Facebook. And for somebody to infer that because you like this or you visited this web page, um, that you may be anti-immigration or you may be um, uh, pro-free healthcare or that you may be um, a social justice warrior for lack of a better term. Uh, and so all of that data collection that people are doing is being used to micro-target you. Now, a lot of the problems that we've seen with this have been addressed by regulating political parties. We'll say, hey, you can't process this personal data because it's sensitive, or you need to follow these set of rules, or you need to do this, or you need to do that. But it doesn't address the wealth of micro-targeting that takes form in a different way where it's it's referred to as or would be characterized as maybe sector specific or issue-based advertising. Uh, so for example, if I am trying to promote an anti-Islamic ideology, um, I might send somebody a ban the burqa advertisement um, because somebody visited all of these web pages. And that's another form of targeted advertising that's not using personal data per se. So um, uh, there's a variety of challenges to this. Um, some people like micro-targeting 
And it's almost a vague term in the sense that, um, you know, if you go onto Netflix, there's a recommender system that's at play there that is using your history of movies and films to make further recommendations to you. And people like that. You know, you could argue that's a form of micro-targeting, you know, because you like, you know, the James Bond films, you might like the Bourne identity or the Bourne ultimatum or the Bourne supremacy. That is still micro-targeting. Um, so we don't necessarily want to ban all of micro-targeting. Um, and that's where maybe the controversy lies because people are looking at the extreme examples of it uh, and saying we need to do this because it's being pervasive and it's using all this information. Uh, whereas other people would say, hey, you know, I like some of these things uh, and I don't want you to stop that because I don't want to log on to Netflix and get Swedish films or Danish films when I don't speak that language. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, maybe more specifically, um, in that case, where do you think, or is that even possible to have a clear border between um, the type of market targeting people like, such as Netflix, and um, the type, type of market targeting that Cambridge Analytica, for instance, did um, in, in that sense, in the more aggressive sense? Would there be a line or would that differ per instance? I think it's very easy to sort of draw the line in the sand and say, hey, Political personal data is sensitive personal data or special characteristic data. So we don't want advertising based on that. But that's blurring the line um, and muddling the waters a bit because what you get is, hey, if I like Sports Illustrated and if I like Time Magazine and if I like the rock band Coldplay and I visited this page on Amazon, somebody somewhere has used collect, you know, clever data analytics to say, hey, when somebody does this, this, and this, they are a target for a particular type of advertisement. So even though I've not given away any, what I would classify as sensitive political data, people are able to make political inferences based on the behavior that I've exhibited online. So I am, um, I think it's it's very easy uh, to sort of say, okay, any information that's based on political data, um, we need to stop. We need to we need to stop making advertisements that's based on this. But that misses the point. It misses how challenging and advanced uh, some of these data analytics programs are, which is processing a lot more information of a different kind than political data. Uh, but getting the same outcome or even more efficient outcomes. Okay, clear. Um, then moving on to, to the second part, maybe um, you've already touched upon this, but how do you think that GDPR ties into that given that um, you know, a lot of people think that that's kind of the, the big solution and it's also uh, regarded as a very strong piece of lawmaking, but like, does, does that really tackle the core of this problem? It's an excellent question, and this will be a controversial answer, but I need to go back to understanding the differences of opinion about data protection law. So some people think that the GDPR is prohibitive. And what I mean there is you're not allowed to process personal data unless, right? And other people are more coming around to the notion of the idea that it's more permissive um, you are allowed to process personal data if you satisfy certain conditions. 
So what a lot of people in the early days of the GDPR, they made very bold claims about it increasing autonomy, about um, raising the barrier or the threshold for what it means to have consent, um, giving people control over their personal data, the idea of self-determination, what you did with your personal data. But in reality, the way that the GDPR operates is that there are six grounds of processing. One of them is consent. One of them is necessary for the performance of a contract. And arguably the rest of them are, you don't have to be involved in the process. Um, advertisers could repurpose your data for the purpose of advertising, for example, um, because it's in their legitimate interest to do so. Um, you can process on, if there's a lawful basis, for example, you, you might not like the fact that they're processing personal data, but if the law permits somebody to do so, uh, then, it's, then it's allowed. Um, and so as long as a data controller has satisfied one of those six conditions and complies with the principles, it's kind of anything goes for data protection law. Now, some people might look at that and say, um, Mark, you're, you're absolutely talking rubbish. It's about the protection of fundamental rights. It's about, but the proof is in the pudding. And the fact is that the GDPR really isn't living up to what people's expectations are. Um, or what their claims were when in the run-up to the GDPR and in the aftermath of it coming into effect. Um, it created significant regulatory burdens for data controllers and big tech, and rightly so, but it hasn't necessarily stopped the harms associated with the processing of that data. So for example, I earlier I used an anti-Muslim or anti-Islamic advertisement. You know, if I am an advertiser and I have used, you know, careful or, you know, kind of complicated analytics, and I have determined that um, a group of people are susceptible to going to visit my website if I deliver this ad to them. Uh, and those people are only people who are above 60, uh, live in North Holland, um, have visited this website, um, clicked this link. I don't know who those people are, but I can literally go to Facebook and say, hey, if you guys have done the, the data analytics on this and you can tell me Whoever has clicked this website falls under this demographic, deliver this advertising to them. The data analytics people could argue that they're not under the remit of the GDPR because they're not processing personal data. They're simply using an analytical system to derive what people would be likely targets for an advertisement. And so the GDPR doesn't necessarily rectify that. It regulates Facebook but not all the other actors that are processing the, that data behind the scene and coming up with those very clever analytics, which um, make inferences about the way people are likely to behave. Okay. Um, after that, there has, after GDPR, there has also been more um, other legislation that's been complementary to it. So for instance, the, yeah. the DSA, um, yeah. does that piece of legislation do a better job or is that, um, more irrelevant, maybe. Yeah, so um, it's in its infancy. So it'd be very difficult for me to sort of give you a, um, uh, a, a complete answer on that because I can't, all right? I'm not gonna try and make something up. What is interesting about this is that uh, either today or a couple of weeks ago, I think the, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, um, the European Data Protection Supervisor released an opinion on the DSA. And in it, I'll actually read you the text because it's really important. Um, 
in it, the person makes mention to um, the idea of removing behavioral or targeted advertising, right? And um, they say that this is, uh, um, it, it is, uh, a removal or the, the phrase they use is a, a phase out leading to a prohibition of targeted advertising on the basis of pervasive tracking. So again, reading between the lines, you have this kind of first comment that behavioral or micro-targeting is not illegal because they're advocating a phase out of that. Uh, and again, you know, as a regulatory theorist, I'm quite critical of this because what you do is you look to the footnote. And so if you read paragraph 69 of the opinion, and then you look at footnote 59, it says something completely different. Uh, footnote 59 um, talks about um, the uh, individuals by default shall not be tracked or micro-targeted and to require an opt-in for the use of behavioral data for advertising purposes. So if you read between the lines there, what they're not saying is that there's a blanket prohibition. What they're saying is that people can opt in to behavioral advertising. And to me, that then goes back, you know, why, why, why are you not putting a blanket prohibition on this? If this is your position, why is it, why are you calling a phase out of behavioral advertising, um, but then have a footnote by saying default? You know, you, you have to opt in to default, or you should have that default. Um, so for me, that that sums up data protection law. You know, you have this kind of blanket statement by the data protection supervisor: "Hey, we're going to have a phased out prohibition," but there's a footnote: "No, users can opt in to do it." And so you get back to square one. Maybe I maybe I see this as being a bit more black and white. But if you believe that behavioral advertising is a bad thing then create a true prohibition for it, right? Create some framework that says, no, you're not allowed to do political behavioral advertising. Um, but to create opt-in as a default, as an option where users can opt in, that then can be manipulated by the platforms who try and get users to opt in through a variety of tricks and uh, commercial practices. And so at the end of the day, you really haven't solved the problem. And the Digital Services Act, even though the European Data Protection Supervisor has come out and made comment on this, it still doesn't plug the hole that I think everybody was expecting them to try and do because there's been so much negative association with micro-targeting, especially political micro-targeting through the likes of things like Cambridge Analytica, et cetera. So um, I don't think the DSA is necessarily going to be the fix. Um, there's a lot of um, soft law measures, uh, codes of conduct rather than prohibitions. You can't do this. And I think a lot of times people just want people to be um, strong, You know, have some leadership. If you don't like behavioral tracking, if you don't like behavioral advertising for little purposes, then make it outlaw, you know, outlaw it. There's nothing wrong with taking a stand, but to give this kind of opt-in as a solution gives those political advertisers a bit of leeway in getting back in and allowing that type of tracking and uh, micro-targeting to take place. So you mentioned that 
there there should be more um, a more radical measures or more of a leadership. Do you think, or do you, in your in your academic opinion, see that leadership coming from Europe, really centrally for the for the Europe from the European Union or from the data regulators, or do you think um, that opinions on that might differ too much per per member state, for instance? Well, I think the American approach and the European approach to advertising are completely different. So I think we also have to look at what's actually happening behind the scenes. Um, and to me, it's without going into too much detail, you know, you have to think about the amount of data that's collected. You know, I read the other day that if you visit a single page on Amazon, right, a single page on Amazon, it generates an entire sheet of paper worth of data points. You know, one product creates that amount of data where they're tracking, you know, you and Amazon controls all that information and they by far dominate the e-commerce space, right? So that is an incredible amount of data that is provided or um, gained uh, and processed on every individual who is using Amazon. I don't know have the same, I don't have the equivalent um, details about how much Facebook, but I would imagine it's something similar. Every time you like a page or every time you interact with a, a status update or a news story or a photograph, it generates the same amount of content and data. So um, my, my, my feeling on this is that we need to think more radically about our approach to data protection um and whether we need to have additional regulation on top of data processing because the first thing and i always have to remind people of this the gdpr only regulates personal data right so if i am a data analytics company and i am processing anonymous or anonymized data i am not going under to fall under the remit of the gdpr I could then sell all of that information and they do sell that information to other people who can use it as part of the advertising ecosystem. But we don't have effective advertising regulation. In fact, the advertisers are left to themselves to regulate each other, not us or not government. And I think that is a most unsatisfactory state of affairs in the present climate, right? And the reason why is because of the differences between TV and radio and online advertising. If you, you know, Joshua, if you go out and you, you buy an advert from a radio station and you say, hey, my, my product is the best. It's the best product in all of the product land. Your competitor can listen to that and then put another advent advertisement out on the same radio station and said, don't listen to Joshua our product is the best. And you would call that historically the marketplace of advertisements, right? You would say, these are two people competing. But the difference is, if you go onto Facebook and you say, I wanna take an ad and I wanna deliver it to a bunch of Facebook users and I'm willing to spend this much on my advertising budget. When that advertisement appears on my phone, nobody knows that I have seen that advertisement. So the marketplace of advertisements doesn't work in the same way that it would on TV or radio. Um, and so that natural 
um, counterbalance to any sort of claims that can't take place in a digital environment in the same way it would in a broadcast environment. And so I think we have to rethink the way we treat advertisers and the advertising ecosystem. We have to go after them to make sure, A, they are who they say they are, because that was a huge problem with Brexit and the Donald Trump election in 2016. It was that we had non-state interference with democratic processes, right? We didn't know who those people were. Secondly, we have to have a discussion about not just data processing, but the type of inferences that people are making from even anonymized data. So if I am doing demographic advertising, I don't have to comply with the GDPR. I leave Facebook to comply with the GDPR. So the, if Facebook is becoming the kind of, is the major actor in online advertising, if it can manage the opt-in, then it continues to have that behavioral advertising um, complex, that kind of apparatus for delivering all that type of advertising. Uh, so we haven't solved that problem. What I think we need is um, a more on top regulation for advertisers, particularly those that do political advertising. Um, I think anything that's using particularly sensitive data, we have to make sure that the people who are processing that sensitive data for the purposes of political micro-targeting are good people and uh, good actors, and that we also have the ability to hold them to account if they break the rules. Right now, we just don't know who they are. And because the data is so complex, we don't know who the people who are up the upstream, downstream in the advertising spectrum. So I thought that was a very long answer to your question, Joshua, but um, um, I, some of these are very complex questions that I can't give short answers to, but hopefully that uh, ticked the right boxes for you. Yeah, that's perfectly fine, of course. Um, so maybe that, as you, what you just discussed also ties into uh, a lot of people, especially people that are not very invested in these topics, just say like, oh, we just need more transparency. As you, as you also mentioned briefly, we just need to know if they're good people or what kind of people they are. Do you think there's a solution there or do you think it's completely overrated in that sense? Well, I personally think transparency is overrated, but I don't mean that we shouldn't have transparency. So transparency has multiple meanings. And I think it's important to have everybody on the same page when we, we're talking about transparency. If you're processing personal data, there's a legal obligation under the GDPR to be transparent about what data is being processed um, and uh, to be transparent about how that data is being used. Um, my question for everybody is, has anybody ever stopped processing or stopped allowing processing to take place because somebody has put up a transparency notice. So if transparency is supposed to solve the problem of the harms associated with uh, information, like if we, we're telling people, hey, we're gonna do this. So, you know, I don't think there's that many people that actually stop or slow down or go, yeah, okay, maybe not today, Facebook, I'm not gonna join, you know? My friends are there, you know, perfect example today. You sent me a link to Zoom, right? There's a transparency notice about what happens with personal data. I ignored it and I came on 
I came on to have this chat with you. So transparency doesn't really do much. You know, there's an argument that it's for the regulator, so the regulator knows what I agreed to. But as far as user transparency, it doesn't actually get people to change their behavior in the way that some people argue that data protection law should intervene to stop people. Um, one of my favorite examples is um, uh, there's a game shop in the UK. Uh, and for a small period of time, I think it was for 24 hours, they inserted a clause into their terms and conditions and said, you know, if you buy one of our products, we will all own your soul for all eternity. And it didn't change anybody's behavior. So even though they're being transparent, I don't necessarily think that um, transparency changes actual behavior. And so we should revisit what it means to be transparent. One way I would tackle this, or I would encourage lawmakers to look at what transparency means here, is to create a more transparent marketplace so the marketplace of advertising can compete with one another. So right now, Facebook has a public repository where ads are placed and people and researchers can look to see who buy ads. But it doesn't tell you what users saw those ads. So what I would say um, we need to have is an increased form of transfer so that when somebody is micro-targeted with any ad, anybody who has an interest in that ad could buy an opposite opinion ad and allow that marketplace to thrive. So if somebody was to micro-target you and say, um, you know, I want to I want to give them a ban the burqa or an anti-Islamic, anti-immigration ad, somebody that was pro-immigration, pro-civil society, pro-civil um, rights could see, hey, user one two three four five received an ad from this anti-immigration uh, group. Let's target them with another ad explaining to them why immigration is good. I don't need to know who you are. I just need to know that user one, two, three, four, five receives an ad, and then we can allow that marketplace to thrive. And then you can also go back and say, hey, your ad um, was acceptable, even though it was anti-immigration, that's a politically uh, motivated message. It's within our rules for what, we, what amounts to political advertising. But this ad over here was xenophobic and racist, and that's not acceptable. And we're going to hold you to account for um, putting those ads into people's um, uh, timelines. So I think there is a room for further content analysis and political ads. There needs to be very close oversight of the ads and the actors who are taking those out. And transparency can allow that marketplace to flourish in a way that uh, we're not presently seeing when it comes to advertising of any kind on Facebook because it's close and personal. Okay, that, I think that's very nice to have like an elaborate um, suggestion. Um, about these, the solutions for that problem of political micro-targeting in this case, there have been um, certain interest groups that have wanted, for instance, personal data to really become people's property. So they people get real full property rights over their data. Um, yeah, maybe for that specific it's never example. Gonna happen. It's never going to happen, right? Um, there, this has been examined at length. Let me just shut you off, but it's also important to say that this is not going to happen, right? Um, 
personal data is a the protection of personal data the right to data protection is a fundamental right right it isn't it is written in the eu charter that means you can't sell it right it cannot have a property right attached to it if you gave a property right to personal data then you have put the ability to it, for it to be commoditized and have value. And the second that you give that the right to have value, you can sell it for a price. And that means you give away your fundamental right to data protection, which is not going to happen within our legal framework. There are, that's not to say that it's not an interesting argument and it's not to say it doesn't have merit, but in the European Union, we follow the EU charter. It is a fundamental right. Imagine me coming to you and saying, I buy your right to speak and trade it away from you, right? And so therefore, for this amount of money, you cannot voice your opinion anymore. We wouldn't allow that to happen. So you can't let the same thing happen with personal data. You cannot say, for this amount of money, I get to own your personal data. And therefore, um, it is not sellable, it is not commoditized, and it is not property. Okay, uh, very clear. Um, yeah, there has also recently been a lot of discussion, not necessarily relevant directly to personal data, but um, generally about uh, how to regulate social platforms. So for instance, with Twitter uh, and Facebook very recently still, um, they've also been, been showing off their power a bit. Um, what kind of approach do you think maybe more generally or more specifically, whatever you find adequate, um, what kind of approach from a European Union perspective could be taken and should be taken to um, start to really, you know, be more tough on these very, you know, these, these media behemoths that you have from, uh, Silicon Valley, yeah, where, where to start? Sure. Um, whew, where do you start? Um, I think you have to understand that for certain, every platform has a certain function, right? Um, some people believe that it is for free expression, right? I go on Twitter to tweet, to make my opinion felt about something, to put my understanding of an event or to link somebody with additional information. It is an information processing platform, right? Um, I don't know that I would even call it social anymore because people don't use it to socially interact with much as they do for dissemination of information. But that aside, they're also an advertiser, right? So people buy advertising and they will pay for a promoted tweet. And that tweet um, uh, and that advertisement has to follow certain rules. Facebook, on the other hand, and Amazon, um, you know, we think of Amazon as being a retail website, right? You go there to buy it. The retail web, the, the retail business of Amazon, I think is only something like 10% of Amazon's entire business model. Most of Amazon's business comes from the cloud and Amazon World Service and the services that it offers to e-commerce sites. Um, Facebook. People think of Facebook as a social network, um, but in reality, it's an advertising ecosystem. And so we have to decide whether or not Facebook is a gatekeeper, whether they are a platform, whether they are an advertiser or whether they're a publisher. 
Now, the easiest way to do that is not to have the classification of publisher, platform, advertiser, etc., but to rather look at the dispute and in what role or function was Facebook acting. So in this case, they were acting as an advertiser. In this case, they were acting as a platform. In this case, they were acting as a publisher or they were just sitting back you know, they had the they they provided the architecture and the content in which um, Facebook uh, or the content that you and I would put up as user generated content. So the the criminality that's associated with that content would be attached to us, not Facebook. So it's really important to figure out when you have a dispute, what role is Facebook actually playing? Um, if I'm putting up really xenophobic or racist stuff, it's not right to hold Facebook responsible for that content. But what it is right to do is hold Facebook responsible if they make a decision to amplify my content. You know, there is a, if I was to put up racist and you and I were friends on Facebook, Facebook at some point makes a decision through an algorithm or through artificial intelligence to take the content that I put up and make it visible to you. And in the past, the political content or, or the xenophobic stuff it got a lot of likes and so it was more likely to show up on other people's walls than other content which was qualitatively good which is you know legitimate news stories mainstream media etc so if facebook is being responsible held responsible for the amplification of content then it's right to hold facebook to account for that if facebook is giving a platform to advertisers from other countries who are buying up ads to denigrate a certain group of people or to uh, uh, social strife um, or social uh, unrest and to kind of um, aggressively kind of divide us, then we have to hold Facebook to account, not as an advertiser, but a gatekeeper responsible for the advertisers that appear on their network. So we should think um, very dynamically about having a set of laws that hold platforms like Facebook, like Twitter, like Google, relative to the function in which they are serving a society and relative to the harm that was created. If I put up a racist comment, the only people that are going to be affected by that are the people that see the content. So my friends, if I have 500 friends, the harm kind of begins and ends there. But if Facebook amplifies this and it becomes visible to a million people or Twitter makes it appear in other people's timelines because it's being retweeted a lot, then Twitter is responsible for the harm associated with an amplification. So amplification and the technical or the system controls that turn me as a poster into a broadcaster can be regulated by law. The second thing is, if you're using personal data to help um, target particular advertising at, thing, at, at things, then the regulation of the processing of the personal data that surrounds the platform um, is uh, a system of regulation that is meant to mitigate and control the fact is it doesn't really stop me from posting racist content and it doesn't really stop me from having my content amplified. That's a technical decision 
um, and, a, and a choice of autonomy that I've used myself or automatic choice or autonomous choice that I've used to post that type of content. So we need a system of laws that works in unison to one another, but not one set of laws that can be applied to every single function of these types of platforms. Okay. Um, and as you said, we need to tackle them on their function. Um, how, or in general, how would you think that these data analytics companies, so kind of the, the actor that's in between, that's not the social platform, sure. uh, but also not the advertiser, how do they tie into that model, you think? Well, I think it's important to say that data analytics people process personal data, but sometimes they don't process personal data at all. They're, they're, they're looking for inferences. It's all about the regulation of personal data versus the regulation of inferences. I mean, one of the things that I've always said is that these people are quite shadowy. Right? We don't really know who they are. We don't know what role they play in the ecosystem. You know, I'll give you an example just very quickly. If I'm typing on my Word document online and I'm typing at a certain speed, that speed can be trackable, right? And over a period of time, over my lifetime, say somebody measuring my speed as well as millions of other users matches that information up with health records and those health records reveal hey that group of people over there they have dementia or they have alzheimer's and i have an epiphany moment or a data analytics company says hey the people that slowed down their speed in years one through ten are 90 percent likely to get dementia or alzheimer's therefore my keyboard tracking has made an inference about my future health that was not obvious. Now that has a really important diagnostic value, right? You're able to diagnose the likelihood that I'm gonna get the Munch or Alzheimer's, but it also could be used against me. So if that data analytics company is selling that information to a health insurance company to deny me coverage or they sell it to an employer and the employer says, yeah, you know, we don't want him because he's gonna get dementia in a few years from now. Then we have a real problem that we have to address across our society. That data analytics has got a very powerful bit of information about me that has value to them, but we don't know who they are. You know, there's very little insight. We all know who Facebook is. We all know who Microsoft is, but the people that have put two and two together to come up with, keyboard speed is um, an inference to whether or not you're gonna have a Alzheimer's diagnosis. Um, we need to kind of tackle that. Um, and right now, transparency doesn't do that, solve that problem. You know, I could tell people, hey, by the way, we're gonna track your keyboard speed uh, to gain scientific insights about your future health or the likelihood of future health. It's not gonna stop people from using Microsoft Word. Uh, and so, uh, and it also doesn't stop non-state actors from coming in or state actors from coming in and gaining that information for themselves. Uh, so I think we need, we need to have some sort of level of oversight over who these people are. And I would go and have a, a regulatory body that looks at data analytics rather than the processing of personal data. Uh, and I would look at um, transparency, not just in the algorithm, because I don't think that that's going to solve the problem, but um, the amount of power 
that is gained from these types of insights. And that's why I would advocate more sector specific legislation that says, hey, you can't track keyboards or you, you, know, you can't do these types of medical experiments without some transparency about who you are and what you're going to do with that information once you glean it for people, glean it from people. So I think we're a ways away, away from a ways away from uh, solving these problems. Um, one of the things that I've also felt is that when it comes to political micro-targeting, uh, we should be looking at licensing these people so that we have a regulator, uh, you know, an electoral commission type body or an elections regulator that says no political advertising Facebook unless uh, you have an authorization code from us. Uh, and then that, that way we can monitor who those political advertisers are. That has nothing to do with personal data and everything to do with regulating the actor themselves. Uh, I would also say open up the transparency and what it means to be transparent about political advertising. So that if a political advertiser, so say Joshua, you opt in as the EDPS uh, recommended to receiving behavioral targeting, that the other side of the equation can figure out, hey, Joshua, he got an ad from our opponent. Let's make sure he gets an ad correcting him from uh, that silly and erroneous political advertisement that he got last week. So these are two things you can do that aren't about processing personal data, but actually regulating the actors and ensuring transparency in the people behind um, the ecosystem uh, and working through that space without burdening the data protection regulator, uh, which has a very specific and defined role. It's only about the processing of personal data. Okay, very clear. Um, so our time is almost up for this interview. Um, do you have any final remarks or any final uh, maybe misconceptions or any final emphasis you want to put anywhere uh, before we uh, end the interview? I would just like to say that everybody that's of a young, you know, every young person that's coming of age and starting to get to the point where they're voting and they are using Facebook and Snapchat and WhatsApp and all of these types of apps that we, um, I don't want to put people off, but just remember that everything you do now is trackable. If you use a Fitbit or a Google watch or Spotify or Facebook or Snapchat, um, everything in there is contributing to the potential for somebody else to build a profile about you. What you can do as a young person is avoid the obvious attempts. So stop doing those IQ tests on Facebook. Stop doing those, um, what type of personality am I? Stop doing those, what animal am I going to be? Or which is my spirit animal? Because those tests are particularly designed to make psychological inferences about you, which are then tradable with data brokers and those analytics firms. This is a very exciting time to be alive. I know it doesn't feel like it. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We've also had uh, horrible political insurrections across the pond and referendums on even the existence of the EU, but you are at the threshold of changing the world. And for you who have grown up digitally savvy Many of you have be, been using computer devices since you were um, born or old enough to recognize what you were doing. Now is the time for you to be a digital citizen as well as a citizen. And part of that is being responsible about the type of information that you give away 
and that you load up to Facebook. And if you have a choice, go back to pen and paper, you know, go back to writing letters to your friends rather than allowing Microsoft to track your key keyboard speed. Um, don't do the psychological tests on Facebook. Um, go out and speak to people. It's an important part of being a digital citizen as well. Thank you. Okay, Mr. Leister, thank you very much for your time and for this fascinating interview uh, and best of luck. Thank you very much, Joshua. Good luck with your uh, presentation and a great interview.